The Secret World Chronicle, a podcast novel series written by Mercedes Lackey, Cody Martin, Dennis Lee, and Veronica Jaguer. Presenting Season 8, Collision. Interlude. Lost Penny. Written by Dennis Lee. Moan is right, one of the girls said in weary disgust. Can't she just shut up? The woman muttered and moaned and spoke, awake or asleep, and none of them could understand a word she said. The dark man had come in while she was asleep, given her a shot before she could wake up, and brought her back cleaned up. After that, the rest of the kids ignored her as best they could. The dark man kept giving her shots, which kept her from moving much, but didn't stop the moaning and mumbling. He'd also ordered the kids to take care of her. Of them all, only Penny and Joey obeyed that order, squeezing paste from the food pouches they all got and dribbling water into her mouth, though they left it to the dark man to carry her out and clean her up. He'd growled at them for not taking care of that part. But Joey, for once, had stood up to him, hands on hips, and looking up into that scowling face said, "'How are we supposed to do that, huh? "'We got nothing to do that with.' "'Because, of course, "'the only things they were allowed "'were the bedding and their clothing. "'There was the toilet in the corner "'out in front of everyone. "'It had nearly paralyzed Penny at first, "'having to go out in the open like that, "'but now it was just one tiny indignity "'amid so much worse. "'There was a sink with a single tap "'that produced tepid water,' and had a pump for liquid soap. But how could they get a semi-conscious woman over to either when she was chained to the wall? There was flimsy paper for the toilet, and little paper cups for water that collapsed and melted so quickly you had to be fast with your drinking. Neither of those would be any help. So the dark man growled and carried Lacey out, bringing her back wearing a giant diaper. Twice a day, once in the morning and once at night, he hauled her out and brought her back cleaned and changed. He must have just left her under a shower or something, because she always came back with wet hair. As Penny had figured, Lacey came with a ghost of her own, too. Most ghosts didn't show up right away. It was like they had to find the people they were haunting before they could settle in. Lacey's ghost was a young man, perhaps two, three years older than Pike. He showed up midway through the third night she was there. He was different, though. He just stood there, staring at Lacey and not saying a word. It was an intent stare, as if he was trying to get something out of her, or maybe wake her up just by staring at her. He was strange and non-threatening enough that Penny felt safe to watch him, size him up. What could Lacey have done that would make a young man like this come to stare at her? All the other ghosts had obvious grievances, or were just plain crazy acting. But this was different, and much more intense. Penny wondered, and watched, it was easier to ignore the others when she had him to concentrate on. 
It was only towards sunrise, when the others had started to fade, that he seemed to suddenly sense that Penny was watching him. Before she could glance away, he swiveled his head and looked at her, his stare going right into her, so hard she gasped under the impact of it, feeling her head reel as if he had actually struck her. Then he was gone, like the others. But she knew he would be back. Like the others. And now he knew she could see him. Dead Meat Part 1 Written by Mercedes Lackey and Cody Martin We are still getting details from reports coming in from around the world concerning last week's second invasion by Krieger forces. Despite Krieger forces being estimated at matching, if not exceeding in some areas, the numbers from the first attack, property damage and loss of life was unexpectedly minimal. Many credit the preparations made by National Security Forces, NATO, and Metahuman Police Forces. Here in Atlanta, the attack seemed centered on the Echo Campus and the CCCP Headquarters Building. The bulk of the Kriegers were handled by Echo personnel, while a smaller contingent was dispatched by the members of the CCCP. On the scene, we have Daryl Vickers, who spoke to the police commissioner early today. In the commissioner's own words, the collateral damage left by the Reds is deplorable and... Bah! Soviet Bear switched the television off. They interrupt Matlock for this rubbish? John Murdoch stood up from the battered couch he had been sitting on, zipping up the front panel of his coveralls. If you're watching the news to get anything but entertainment, you're doing it wrong, Pavel. He checked his watch. Time for me to start on my patrol for the day. If you need anything from the store on my way back. Bear thought for a moment, then held up a finger. Da, ravioli, and TV guide, and ingredients to be making fluffernutter, and... There is ravioli by case full in storage, old bear, interrupted Untermensch. And you are not to be eating fluffer, fluff, nasty sandwich by order of Red Savior. Was to be a day getting sticky off where you left in couch. John turned to Unter. Are you ready to head out, partner? John and Untermensch had been paired up frequently lately. He suspected it was so that the older Russian could evaluate him, keeping an eye on him for the commissar. Yeah. Check duty roster for assignment. I am being stuck with old bear today. The joys of service to the proletariat never cease. Untermensch waved at the bulletin board where a thin sheaf of papers pinned to the cork with what looked like the broken tip of a knife waved forlornly. John walked a few steps over to the board, quickly scanning the duty roster. Murdoch. Seraphim. Huh. After reading his journal and the few encounters that he had had with the angel, John was still rather curious about the woman. He had tried to keep it at that, a sort of detached interest, 
professional. That idea had not worked out so well. They kept on running into each other, and the interactions weren't always what he would call positive. That she was curious about him had been another side of the coin. He'd been catching glimpses of her out of the corner of his eye for, well, since he'd woken up. She'd always flee if she thought he'd seen her, though. He wasn't sure what her motivation was. It probably should have felt creepy, as if she was stalking him, but for some reason, it didn't. After their meeting in the graveyard and, well, when they had saved each other in turn during the second invasion, it seemed they had reached a sort of truce. Or something. As much as he was intrigued by it, his past self's love for her, her nature, how she was acting now, he was also confused as hell as to what to do about it. He was pretty sure that he didn't love her. He just didn't know her. How could you fall in love with someone that you didn't know the first thing about? But then there was that little voice in the back of his head that always had an answer. You've done it before, smart guy. Twice, by all accounts. First Jessica, the woman from the program. Then this Sarah. Even though she tried to hide it, he could see how much pain she was in, especially when he was around. That just can't stand. With a sigh and a shrug, he started towards the locker room to change into his patrol uniform. It only took John five minutes to finish getting ready. Boots, nano-weave pants, and jacket with the CCCP insignia, gloves, his duty belt with his battered 1911, spare pistol magazines, and a CCCP comm device for backup completed the picture. The nano-weave was lighter and less bulky than the old vests the CCCP had used, a gift from Bella, from a shipment that had fallen off of a truck at one point. He had expected to find Sarah in the garage, but no luck. Thea, pale and quiet as ever, was busy cleaning her shotgun. Away from Pavel's soaps was the reason she gave for doing it in the garage. When asked about Sarah, Thea explained that the angel, a term she used without a trace of irony or sarcasm, didn't like being indoors all that much anymore and was waiting outside. The pale little Russian regarded John strangely while they talked, kind of like a cat, just studying him and watching to see what he would do. John shrugged it off. He had enough to deal without the expectations everyone seemed to have for him and Sarah. There was a goddamned war on, wasn't there? Taking an earl with a sidecar that he knew was in good repair, he'd spent three grease and oil-soaked days making sure of that, John pulled out of the garage and into the thick and humid Atlanta air. There, at the end of the sidewalk, near the entrance of the HQ, was Sarah. She wasn't wearing CCCP gear, and she wasn't wearing nano-weave. Instead, she sported a thin little tunic of some sort over tights, both in red. It didn't look very... protective. She was also wearing the earpiece and tiny throat mic he recognized as being Overwatch Mark I gear. She was very hard to read, quite literally. 
her face tended to remain in a state of mask-like inexpressiveness. But she did look surprised to see him, and blinked in what appeared to be confusion. "'John Murdoch,' she said carefully. "'Is there a reason you are here?' She hadn't bolted immediately. "'An improvement.' "'Yes, ma'am. We're partnered up for the day. "'On your patrol route as per the duty roster.' He waited a beat, then held up a hand. "'Are y'all right with that, Sarah?' Her face remained without expression. "'It is my duty to obey orders, unless they violate... "'Ethics,' she said. "'Kept your cool, but what was that right under the surface, huh?' "'That isn't what I asked, ma'am. "'If you're not all right with this, I can take it up with the commissar.' "'He grinned lopsidedly. "'I'm pretty sure that she's gunning for me anyways, so it's no skin off of my teeth.' "'Nose,' Sarah corrected. What I want has no bearing. If the commissar assigns me, it is my duty to obey. But... She pointed at the sidecar. I cannot be in that... thing. How come? John glanced at the sidecar sidelong. Well, sure, the seat is a little on the lumpy side, but... Apart from that, she ain't that bad. Now the woman finally had some expression. Annoyance. And what do you suggest I do with my wings? They do not come off. As if to emphasize that, she spread them and pulled them back in again with a little irritated flip. They were a lot bigger than he had thought, they easily spanned twenty feet fully extended. You got a point there. Never really had to deal with wings before, aside from that lie me out of echo. All right, stay here a second. John revved the engine, pulling around to take the bike back into the garage. When he came back, the sidecar had been detached. We'll have to call the wagon if we nab anyone, but that's nothing new. So you fly and I'll ride. Sound good? Her answer was to take a running leap into the air, wings beating so hard that the air thundered and debris and paper flew everywhere. Try and keep up, came the reply from the sky. John grinned, throwing on a helmet quickly. The gal has some style, I'll give her that. He pulled in the clutch, put the motorcycle into first gear, let out the clutch, and gave it some throttle. After he was moving, he kicked it up a notch a couple of times just to keep up with Sarah. She sure as hell can move, too. He opened an Overwatch comlink to her. Using it was slowly becoming second nature, although it still sometimes freaked him out that what used to be a full headset and camera was somehow all parked inside his head. Technology marches on. This comm line was overlaid with the CCCP net, so HQ could hear and also respond. 
They were also patched in on the little mage's network for security and redundancy. This is your route, so I'm following your lead on this one. We're outside of my usual hood. I shall restrain my speed, came the reply. He couldn't tell if it was meant sarcastically or not. The streets are less than salubrious. A few seconds later, he got his answer. It was not meant sarcastically. The road, well, this part of Atlanta being poorer, didn't see the upkeep that the more well-off areas did. With that being the case, a good portion of the damage from the initial invasion had yet to be meaningfully dealt with. There just weren't enough people, not enough money to handle it. Reminds me of Detroit before the invasion. He had to slow down to negotiate the many blockages in the road, from debris, burnt-out cars, trash, and other assorted obstacles. He could see why Sarah had been assigned this area to patrol. It must be a lot easier from the air. Unit Piat, this is HQ. You have called to respond to. It was Gamma Yoon back at the comm station. Doesn't that woman ever sleep? She's almost as bad as Vicky about that. Thank you, Comrade Gamma Yoon. Sarah's voice came from the Overwatch mic in his ear. Location, please. Residents report multiple gunshots followed by shouting and screaming coming from former Piggly Wiggly store. Thank you, comrade. We are on the way. John's HUD lit up with a map with his location and the store and the fastest route plotted. The angel changed course abruptly and arrowed off. She was obviously taking the shortest route there, which was out of the question for him. Time to play Frogger with debris and the crazies who still drive in this part of town. It took John a few extra minutes, with some hair-raising close calls, but he finally arrived at the location of the disturbance. There were a few residents milling around across the street, some of them pointing and talking with each other. The grocery store was completely trashed. Several of the windows were broken, with only some of them boarded up. Graffiti covered everything, and there was a large pile of rubbish and debris blocking the main entrance. It looked off for some reason. Not quite out of place, but new, somehow. John drank in all of these details in the few seconds it took for him to bring the Earl to a stuttering stop. He got there just in time to see Sarah land, barely touching down before she started burning herself an entrance through the debris and darting inside. Without waiting for him. Shit. John killed the bike's engine and dismounted, drawing his handgun and running after her. He ducked through the still-smoking doorway that Sarah had created, still running, then came to a skidding stop several yards inside of the store. The shelves were bare, with only the occasional ruined and empty package dotting them. More trash and broken glass. And Sarah, marching determinedly down one of the aisles. Sarah, damn it! John hissed out in a harsh whisper, knowing she could hear him through her overwatch ring. She was wreathed in fire, somehow, which was going to make her a big, fat, literally flaming target. 
The hell are you doing? Trying to get yourself killed? She started and tossed a glance over her shoulder at him. She looked completely taken off guard by what he'd just said. And was there just a tinge of guilt there as well? Jesus, she really might be trying to buy a farm, get herself killed. Jean softened a little, moving closer to her. Listen, if we're going to help anyone, we gotta be smart about it. If we go in half-cocked and alone, might be that someone has to come save our asses. So we do this together. Cool? He flashed a smile at her, making sure that there was no edge in his words. After leading men in war, he'd learned that there were times to be a hard-ass, and times when you needed to show some compassion. It wasn't hard to tell which this was. I would not wish to bring anyone else into danger, she said, a little too carefully. Then she winced a little, her brows furrowing. There may be some toxin in the air, John Murdoch. John had noticed a fairly bad headache coming on quickly. It felt like someone was slowly driving a spike outward from the middle of his head. Damn it, I think you're right. Whatever it is, we're already exposed. Let's make this quick. He looked down at Sarah's body, still covered in flame. I'll take lead. I'm wearing armor, after all. She merely nodded. But at least she wasn't charging ahead anymore. John took point, walking quickly but carefully with his 1911 out front. He scanned everywhere, looking for anything else that seemed out of place with this trash heap. The report they had received from Gamayun said that there had been screaming and gunshots. There certainly wasn't any screaming now. It took less than a minute for the two of them to clear the main floor. John motioned with his left hand for the back. That would be offices, restrooms, break room, stock room, and walk-in cooler and freezer. Plenty of places to hide. He figured that the offices would be the first place to check. If anyone was looking for a safe or some cash, they'd probably start there. The stock room was next. Food could be hard to find for some folks in the poorest parts of the city, and John had seen a lot of otherwise normal and good people turn ugly when they were hungry. It didn't look as if there was likely to be anything here to scavenge, but people got irrational when they were desperate. There were two ways to clear a building, fast and loud, or slow and quiet. John was trying to split the difference between the two, staying as stealthy as possible when he was moving through the area while entering rooms dynamically and with calculated violence. The offices were all empty. No computers or other office equipment, just empty metal desk and filthy graffiti-splattered walls. Looked like whoever had last been in here had done his best to wreck what little had been left. The entire place smelled rancid. John didn't want to think too hard about what they'd used as paint for some of the scrawled messages. Time for the storeroom, he whispered. Sarah just nodded. John's headache had been getting worse the closer to the back they had gotten. They needed to hurry, now. 
Whoever was in here was probably doing worse than they were, if it was some sort of toxin. The pain was starting to get between him and the ability to think. John and Sarah were both outside of the door to the storeroom. With a final shared nod, John reared back, then kicked in the door. They both rushed through the opening, John in the lead, and stopped dead before they had gone more than a few steps inside. There were two people, both obviously dead, lying on the floor. They were bound hand and foot and had been shot in the legs, and then the back of the head. Before either he or Sarah had time to react to that, two dozen men dressed in nearly identical tactical outfits simultaneously sprang from cover. Black Snake. The mercs looked just as startled as John and Sarah did, but it didn't last. Target is not alone. Capture the target. Ice the other one. A volley of gunfire erupted from what seemed like everywhere. John answered in kind. He dropped at least three mercs that he could be sure of, maybe two more with his 1911. He had to spin and duck behind a metal rack while he reloaded after that. The gunfire was constant and deafening. Sarah took a more direct approach, charging at her target, flaring her fire crucible hot to blind them, then striking with the butt of her spear to disable rather than kill. The problem was, she was on fire, and as she left her target writhing on the floor, she left him fully engulfed. Non-lethal doesn't work all that great for her. One of the mercs was armed with what looked like a net launcher. Sarah's head snapped over in his direction as he raised the launcher, armed, and fired. In what looked like one smooth motion, she transferred the spear to her left hand, generated what appeared to be a sword made of fire in her right hand, and brought it down in an arc directly in front of her, bisecting the launched net and leaving the two pieces smoldering on the ground. John had already emptied another magazine from his handgun. This time, he only took out two mercs. They were using cover more effectively now. Time for us to find some cover of our own. We're too exposed here. Sarah, fall back. We've got to get some help for this bunch. John holstered his 1911, then focused for a half second. Fire coalesced in his hands, building into an orb. With a grunt, he threw it as hard as he could at the center of the room. It exploded brilliantly, splashing flame against everything. Shelving and mercs, for the most part, and some on the ceiling, within twenty yards. That ought to give them something to think about. Sarah retreated, reluctantly it seemed to him, to his side. As they hurriedly backed out of the room, a huge chunk of ice exploded against the wall above John's head. What the ever-loving hell? No time to ponder it. He keyed his comm, transmitting on the Overwatch line and back to CCCP HQ. This is Murdoch. We're in a jam on our call. Lots of Black Snake. We need backup to contain the area. Right now. John vaguely heard the affirmative come over the comm, but he was busy. He winced as icicle shards pelted his head and shoulders. What the hell was that? Everything was happening very quickly. John had to consciously study himself as he and Sarah continued their retreat into the store. They didn't have time to investigate any further. Even with the fire, the black snake mercs were starting to advance. John noticed that one was way ahead of the others, the second merc that had been armed with a net launcher. 
John swung around to the side of the doorframe, hiding himself against it. He waited a few heartbeats until he saw the muzzle of the net launcher come around the corner. Latching onto it with both hands, John pulled the merc in close, bumping their chest together. The man's eyes went wide behind the balaclava he was wearing. Before John could do anything, Sarah was on the hired gun, clubbing him on the back of his head with her spear. Dazed, the merc went limp in John's arms. Igniting both hands, he set the merc ablaze, then spun around into the entrance to the storeroom. Catch, assholes! Shoving as hard as he could with his augmented strength, he sent the fire-engulfed merc flying through the air directly at a clump of the oncoming black snake. He didn't wait around to see what happened next. There was still a lot of gunfire, too much gunfire, coming his and Sarah's way. He dashed back into cover, reaching out and grabbing Sarah's hand and pulling her in with him. She was still exposing herself a lot more than he liked. They were hunkered down behind an open top-floor freezer. It wasn't the best cover, but it was something. We need to keep this from spilling out into the street if we can. We already know that these scumbags will blast innocents. He reloaded his 1911. He had only three mags left. I shall not allow them to pass. The look on her face was stern and unyielding. John smirked. Let's earn our paychecks, then. She lost the stern look. We... get paid? She asked, bewildered for a moment. John couldn't help it. He laughed. If the commissar had her way, she'd have us paying with what the way Tova Ricci overeat. You have been listening to Collision, Season 8 of the Secret World Chronicle podcast novel series. Season 8 is written by Mercedes Lackey, Cody Martin, Dennis Lee, and Veronica Jaguer. Music is Exciting Trailer by Kevin McLeod from Incompetech.com. The Secret World Chronicle podcast is narrated and produced by Veronica Jaguer and is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 4.0 International License. The fourth book, Collision, is available in print and ebook in December 2014 from the amazing people at Bayon Books. For more information about the series or to listen to earlier seasons, check out www.secretworldchronicle.com. Want to chat with the authors and fellow SWC fans? Join the Secret World Chronicle group on Facebook. And, as always, thank you for listening.